This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Action and Ambition, the show that takes you all over the world to share interviews with the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their backstory, get the most important lessons they've learned on their road to success, and hear exclusive tips on how to implement their success in your own life. Action and Ambition is brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine and your host, Andrew Metal. Welcome to the Action and Ambition Podcast. I'm your host today, Chase Geyser, and with us, we have a very special guest. Doug Andrew, founder and CEO of Three Dimensional Wealth, provides a holistic program that helps individuals and families create financial, foundational, and intellectual abundance. He has served or he has more than five decades of experience in the financial sector and is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. The radio and television personality also has a high-performing YouTube channel. Doug, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the Action and Ambition Podcast. How are you today, sir? Well, I'm doing great, and uh, thank you. It's an honor to be on uh, with you. One of the questions that I like to ask to start this podcast is, where was your head at when you were 18 years old? (laughs) Well, uh, that's a great question because, you know, uh, when I was uh, in high school, Uh, I had been involved in a lot of uh, debate, oratory, and radio speaking uh, with what was called the National uh, Forensic League, and I actually took state in oratory because I was preparing to become an attorney, okay? Hmm. So I thought I was going to be an attorney. Uh, And so at age 18, that was sort of my goal, but then um, I knocked out because I had several scholarships. Um, I graduated from high school and I went to Brigham Young University uh, with those scholarships, which required I go immediately out of high school into uh, the spring semester and summer semester in order to have uh, the full next uh, fall and uh, and spring uh, scholarships apply. So anyway, I was able to knock out two years uh, within one year before I left on a two year religious mission to Korea. I lived in Korea for two years from age uh, 19 to 21. Uh, So when you say 18, uh, it was uh, because I was going to take advantage of these scholarships to learn uh, and prepare to become an attorney. I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken at the time. And uh, so I was working 30 hours a week, even though I had scholarships, because I I never relied on my parents. Uh, I came from a family of six and so did my wife. And uh, we our, we knew our parents couldn't afford to pay for our college. We didn't expect that. But I worked 30 hours a week uh, at age 18, 19 in college as I started, as did my wife. And uh, we had many friends whose parents were just shelling it out. And uh, we had better study habits than they did. So uh, that ended up uh, being instrumental because when my wife, Sherry, and I, and we've been married now 49 years. We just celebrated our congratulations. Our okay. But we have six children and we never uh, wanted any of them to think that we would just pay for their college. We gave them equal opportunities. 
instead of equal distribution. If they got a scholarship or they saved, we might match or if they wanted a semester abroad or whatever. So at age 18, I was working my way at Kentucky Fried Chicken, going to school, studying, trying to maintain scholarships. So when you say that you did a religious mission in Korea for two years, were you knocking and walking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I spent about 60 days in, in a, a heavy-duty language training uh, that was actually in the on the island of Oahu at a language training mission. And then I, I went to Korea, entered there uh, about uh, mid-December of 1971, and I, I came home uh, two years later. And so, yep, I was out there uh, learning the language, living with the people, and... Uh, uh, I'm a Christian, and so we were we were sure. uh, Christian missionaries. So one of my close friends is a very successful successful financial advisor in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's a very Christian guy. And I got to know him while I was working on a political campaign with him a number of years ago. And he got his sales experience going door to door selling Bibles and encyclopedias, and everyone I've ever met who has ever had any door-to-door -door experience, particularly if it's religious or encyclopedias, which people don't want, they, they end up being tremendous salespeople. So my question for you is, A, did you meet quota? And, and B, did it have an impact on your career? <laughs> oh, absolutely. When, when you, uh, for two years, are immersed in selling what we call an intangible, okay, and uh, you get rejection, uh, it, you begin to develop a callous skin so that uh, you don't take it personally when people aren't ready uh, to hear your message or uh, the timing isn't right and they reject you. You can't take that personally. So that uh, that was great preparation so that uh, in order to get one yes, when later I started um, uh, selling uh, investment products and securities and insurance, uh, it, to, to get 20 no's to get one yes was just, oh, yeah, that's just that's what you have to do. You have to kiss, as, as they say, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you get the prince, maybe, or something like that. So it, it's mm. great experience. And I actually, from uh, 1974, when I came back from Korea, uh, I got married within four months uh, to my high school sweet sweetheart. And uh, from 1974 to 1980, in six years, I actually was responsible for licensing and training over a thousand agents. And to be honest with you, uh, I had the same experience. If many of those agents uh, had been out on a religious mission or something like that, selling intangibles, uh, I would interview them in a second because I didn't have to train them on call reluctance or anything like that. They, they're already used to that. Right. That, that, approach, that approach anxiety is, is what gets in the way of so many people even attempting sales. And there's no approach anxiety after you've had a couple of months of knocking on doors, speaking a language you don't speak in a place you're not familiar with. Yeah, so not very only a big couple ideas. of months, a couple of years. It was a couple right. of years. Yeah. Right. So you ever think about going back to Korea and uh, uh, giving, giving them a few dunks? Uh, I've been back five times. And uh, in wow. fact, just this morning, I was speaking Korean uh, with a, a, a Korean lady. Uh, who did not understand English. And so even though I don't get a chance to speak it fluently day by day, uh, I was actually last night, ha I had a wonderful dinner with four other missionaries from 50 years ago. 
And uh, so we have great reunions and we, we reminisce a lot. I was over there with about 130 other um, mostly American uh, young men or young women who were serving. So. So you proved yourself in the sales space or you had experience uh, uh, with, with that element of hustle, knocking on doors, walking, things, things of that nature. Tell me a little bit about the difference between selling and training sales. So selling and training sales. Right. You mentioned that you were responsible for training a thousand professionals from 64 to 80. I think you said, yeah. what, what was the difference between training versus actually doing? <laughs> Well, of course, I've I've always believed in leading from the front, okay? Mm -hmm. And so uh, my best sales training was by setting the example and leading from the front. So when I was training others, I was actually the top uh, uh, producer myself. And so uh, they they respected that because they saw me in the trenches. And so the best training came and my two sons, uh, they now uh, have been very, very successful for 20 years, but they learned by osmosis. They would just come in and observe and soak in uh, how I began to relate to my clients and help help the clients know that it wasn't about me. It was about them, the client. And uh, there, there's three R's uh, that I teach. There's, there's a lot of uh, ways to develop relationships, but the three R's is to always respect who you're talking to. The second R is to develop rapport. And again, that's being sincerely interested in them um, because again, it's not about you. So many financial advisors, they immediately start talking about all their uh, alphabet soup behind their name and their accolades and their certificates. I always just started immediately talking about the client and it was refreshing. And I would sit down and say, yeah, Jim and Mary, after you've uh, read uh, some chapters or one of my books or watch some of my YouTube videos or listen to some audio. Uh, what what did you want to accomplish most with this visit today? And you can't believe how many people go, golly, I've never had any advisor uh, uh, ask me that question. They always talk about how great they are for about 10 or 15 minutes, you know. And, and you know, so many people, they don't understand. It's not about you. It's about helping others, about uplifting others. So rapport, the last is resilience. And that's the ability to uh, bounce back because people, you know, they, they love to throw curveballs at you. Um, my wife and I have spent thousands of uh, volunteer hours in our life mentoring troubled youth. And youth love to try to throw you off to see if they can get you off base and get you uptight. And you, you, you just play it cool and you, you're resilient. But, you know, I'm going to say something here that a lot of times professionals don't understand. People are more concerned about your comfort level with your level of expertise than your actual level of expertise. Does that make sense? Yeah. People are, are more comfortable with your comfort level with your level of expertise than your actual level of expertise. But so many advisors think they have to fake it to make it or that they have to make up an answer. And there's nothing more credible than admitting, you know, that is a great question. I don't know the exact answer, but I don't want to lead you astray. I know where to find out the answer, Jim and Mary. So I'll get back to you with the proper answer. Uh, because it's, again, helping people. And they want they want to see you bounce back with resilience, but not try to fake it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You briefly mentioned uh, sharing your books with potential clients and prospects as, as part, part of your sales process. And I'm curious to know what compelled you to write your first book? 
<laughs> well, that's a great one because um, uh, my first book is it's behind me. Oh, oh, well, you can see here. This is a podcast audio, but I, I call it the war and peace version. Okay. Uh, it's 550 pages. And what motivated me is I, I, I knew I had this book in me, but um, uh, I would meet with clients and uh, I was one of the top producers for several financial firms uh, in the entire country. And so I noticed that uh, the highest and best use of time for clients was not, you know, spoon feeding information that they could read before they came to meet. I wanted to start at a higher level of conversation. And so those uh, clients who wanted to have some uh, skin in the game, uh, if they would take time to read or watch or listen, we all like to learn differently. And so I wanted to provide a way whether they want to read and learn, watch and learn, listen and learn. And if, if they would do that, they would come to the next appointment and I would just do a five minute review. And then I could hit the ground running talking about how the financial strategies and concept applied in their particular set of circumstances with their numbers. If I didn't do that, I was taking between 40 minutes to an hour and a half to educate them on stuff that they could have read or listened to. And so I I, I finally start I, I started to write it down. Well, I want I thought I had to spill it all out. So what I did is I had uh, 23 chapters in my first book because I thought I had to tell everybody everything. And I, I'm a detailed person, but see, not everybody makes their decisions um, logically with numbers. Uh, usually in a, in a married couple, for example, one spouse is left brain, the other one is right brain. They, they glaze over when you get into percentages. That was me. But they, the others, they learn by stories and metaphors and examples. So I had to incorporate both. I call it teaching high concepts coupled with high touch, right brain, left brain. Otherwise, you'll you'll miss out on half of, of your contacts. You'll uh, I have 20 grandkids now. I, we have six kids and 20 grandkids. You'll miss out on relationships with half your grandkids. Yeah, they'll go to grandma because they don't think grandpa understands if all you think, if you think everybody should make their decisions logically, uh, you're missing the boat because a lot of them make their decisions more the way they feel, okay? So <clears throat> what I did... And this is the long answer to your question, but I'm passionate. I love it. Okay. I love it. So um, uh, I was getting frustrated uh, with the detail of writing it out. And so I thought, you know what? I, I can I can just spit it out. So I walked an 18-hole golf course 23 mornings uh, before the golfers on the golf course. And I carried a little dictaphone recorder. And I put myself in the mindset, I'm sitting across the sofa from somebody and, uh, and and my first book was called Missed Fortune because of the fortunes people miss out on when they simply don't know what they don't know. So I was uh, identifying these, these money myths and uh, what the reality was and then the strategy to overcome this, this, um, this myth. Like, uh, you know, everybody's putting money in IRAs or 401ks. Why? Because they think they're going to be in a lower tax bracket. Well, I, I found that most savers are not in lower tax brackets when they retire. So, so that's a myth. So IRAs or 401ks may be a good way to go, but it's a far cry from the best way to go. Or uh, another myth was uh, the best way to get out of debt to pay off your house is sending extra principal payments against your mortgage. No, I knew mathematically uh, that's not the fastest way to get out of debt. If you take that money that you would give the mortgage company and put it over in a compounding account tax-free, like my investments, uh, there would be enough money to pay off the, the mortgage two and a half years faster than giving it to the mortgage company and killing your tax deduction. So I had all these 
myths, 23 of them. And uh, I, I walked an 18 hole golf course for every one of those chapters. And some of them were out in the desert also. And I got it all done and then sat on my credenza for 10 years, uh, waiting, waiting for uh, it to be perfect. And then I got lib I got liberated from being a perfectionist. And I uh, that was from my good uh, entrepreneurial coach, Dan Sullivan. And so he said, Doug, when you get that book 80% there, just print it, release it, record it, and send it out and ask for people's input to uh, tweak it. And so I actually did that. And uh, I got uh, 400, I, I went through 420 copies. I printed 500. I went through 420 copies in 24 hours when I spoke in Nashville, Tennessee. They gave me the feedback. And then the second edition, I printed 2,500 copies because I tweaked the last 20% that wasn't perfect to 80%. So the second edition was 96% uh, accurate. And then I got feedback for the last 4% and I tweaked the last 4%, 80%. So the third edition was 99.2% perfect. And the fourth edition uh, was nearly uh, perfect with no typos and everything like that. And that's the one that got the attention of Time Warner because I self-published. And so they, they ended up wanting to buy the rights for a hundred grand. And they gave me a, a million dollar advance for the next one, because I was already going through 5,000 copies uh, because I wrote the book uh, so that not just my clients would learn, but so that CPAs and tax attorneys and financial advisors right. would pass out my book and educate people. So they would walk into their offices at this level of understanding. And so uh, it wasn't until I actually did a white paper on chapter 17, which was a 63 page chapter. And I, I finally printed that and I handed it out to people and they started going, oh, this is incredible. And, and I thought, what have I been waiting for, for this thing to be perfect? So I hurried and um, I, I published it when, I, when it was 80% there. Now the rest is history. I've written 12 books and um, the last several books I have actually written in 36 hours of my time. I, I don't write it. You don't have to be a writer to be an author. Sure. I, I, I spit it out and I have a graphic artist in the room. I, I have uh, the, 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 um, the, the actual, it's not a ghost writer. She's an editor and I have another artist and, and everything. And so they're just all in the room, the marketing guy. And I just spit it out. And then they ask me questions. We'll give an example or whatever. So you can actually uh, write a book in about 36 hours of your time. And um, that's what I've done for the last oh, seven or eight books. I, I just say it. I just speak it. Do you still work with a publisher or, or have you transitioned to self back to self-publishing? No, the first four books, Time Warner wanted those. And then I found it was better as books, um, be, uh, well, Borders went out of business and Barnes and Noble was struggling. And so I found it was better if I got my own. In fact, Time Warner loved it because I did my own marketing. So many authors think they uh, think that, oh, if they just have a publisher, that the publisher is, is going to market for them. No, 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 no. The publishers want you to create the market. So I was creating my market and I was doing it better than them. And even though I went through a half a million of my second book, which is called Misfortune 101, it was it was only a 300 page book instead of 550. But then uh, my third one became a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, number one bestseller the second week it was released. That was called Last Chance Millionaire. And then my two sons authored one with me and they gave us a uh, I, uh, a $300,000 advance to write that one. That was called Millionaire by 30, how to have your money earning more than you do by age 32. But once I had the system down, uh, I no longer needed a, a publisher because frankly, you only get about 
you know, between three and seven bucks on a $20 book. Uh, right. in a uh, I could print those myself for under a dollar and I could market it and uh, I could actually get people to come into uh, a funnel when they were interested. And that's what I've done. I, I you, you mentioned my YouTube channel. So, you know, I have uh, over a thousand educational videos and uh, these uh, videos, I release one a day, five days a week, but I get about 130,000 views. And of course, uh, if they're interested, then I, I send them to uh, my landing page where they can claim a free copy of one of my books. So if they'll put a little skin in the game, if they'll contribute a nominal amount towards the shipping and handling, but then they can also opt to the, for the audio, the video and what have you. But we send out a, a between 250 to 1,000 books a week. And uh, and then I'm able to uh, engage with those people. Whereas if they buy it at a, at a Barnes and Noble, I don't know who those people are. So uh, then I get my database of 100,000 people that have engaged with me and I know them and, and, and I can say, hey, I'm teaching a, a webinar or a seminar about this. And all I have to do is push send to a fourth of my database and I fill up an educational webinar um, within 48 hours with with a thousand people. I couldn't do that if I was doing it with Time Warner still. Or it's no longer Time Warner. It's it's actually right. bought Warner Business Books. Do you think that the publishing industry as a whole is in trouble over the next couple of decades as people realize that self-publishing is something that works and that there's not as much benefit to traditionally publishing as one would think in terms of how much effort they actually put into selling your book for you? Yes. In fact, um, I, in talking with my original editor, who is the number one business book editor in the world at the time, his name was Rick Wolf. And uh, he just goes, Doug, you're, you're ahead of your time because he says, this is where uh, most people are getting their content. It, it's sort of like uh, the evolution of newspaper. See, I used to fill up uh, an educational event with 100 or 200 registrations with a quarter page editorial ad. Okay. And, uh, and I had to go against the advertisers because they were t saying, oh, no, do display ads. And I'd get six people that called. I'd do an editorial article with a scintillating uh, I, I use right brain left brain my the the, the headline uh, would be a right brain headline and the 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 subtitle would be a left brain and I did that in my books so for example uh, chapter one of my second book was all the dogs barking up the wrong tree doesn't make it the right one see that's a right brain title all the dogs barking up the wrong tree doesn't make it the right one well the left brain subtitle said uh, why socking away money in tax-deferred IRAs or 401ks while simultaneously sending extra principal payments against your mortgage is counterproductive, okay? Uh, you're going down the highway with one foot on the gas pedal and the other foot on the brake pedal, and you don't know you're doing it. And so uh, when I would do that uh, and, uh, and then begin to uh, send out the messaging, I would do that in newspaper. Then newspaper went, 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 you know, began to implode because people started getting their information. And then and then radio after 2008 uh, radio, I was able to get 30 minutes on the radio for three hundred and four dollars average on 76 stations across the country because they were they had a dearth of weekend talent because they had to cut their costs. They, they needed weekend content. It used to cost me three hundred and four dollars for 60 second ad. And I was getting a half hour. 
for $304. And so I shifted over to radio to fill up. I've been doing radio now for 15 years and radio now is getting diminishing returns. And, and same with TV, I was doing TV. So now it's what? Podcasts and YouTube. So now I throw out a net and I get 140,000 views a month on YouTube because uh, people don't sit down and watch a television show anymore. So yes, people are getting, are consuming uh, content uh, digitally and uh, they, they will pick and choose what they read and if they don't want to read it, uh, they, they want to hear it or they want to watch it. And that's even on a YouTube. Yeah, you hand somebody or, or you send somebody a link for a YouTube. Hey, watch this. What's the first thing they do? They look down and see how long it is. If it's longer, right. if it's longer than three minutes, they'll, 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 they'll table it and they never will watch it. If it's less than three minutes, they might watch it. But whatever right. I see in a YouTube video, it better be a pretty uh, enticing within the first 10 seconds or you've lost your audience because we don't have a dearth of information in the world today. We have a lack of people's time and attention. When you get somebody's time and attention, you don't take it lightly. And so you need to deliver because we live in this world of, uh, we, we wrap our fingers in front of a microwave because it's taking too long to heat up lunch. I mean, when mm -hmm. I was a kid, it, it, it took 15 minutes to heat up your lunch, you know, with a conventional oven. But we live in this society where everybody's just impatient. So speaking of the digital revolution, where can people find you, follow you, and engage with you? <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, um, the the best way, you know, uh, my I, I have several different entities, and my main educational platform is called Three, the number Three Dimensional Wealth, uh, because as a financial strategist and retirement planning specialist for you know now five decades. Uh, I found that uh, a lot of people are are not happy. They're, they're not balanced in their life. And they're sometimes just focusing on just money, money, money. So when the reason why people engage with me is because it's like a three-legged stool. A lot of people spend their um, health accumulating their wealth. Later in life, they're spending all their wealth trying to regain that health. That's really stupid. Mm -hmm. Or many people accumulate their financial wealth at the expense of relationships with their spouse, their grandkids, or, or, or their their God. Um, and then at the end of the day, they're always saying, "What was all that for? I have I have fifteen million dollars, but I'm sixty seven and, and I'm 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 ready to die." And 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 nobody hangs around because uh, I lost my relationships. And they always have these unacceptable regrets. So that's why my company is called Three Dimensional Wealth. We focus on the money, okay, the finances. We focus on the foundational assets, such as your health and your heritage and your beliefs, and then the intellectual assets. So if you go to threedimensionalwealth.com, there are uh, events, there's regular webinars we teach on a regular basis. There are live events uh, because my radio show is big in like San Francisco. And so you can come to a live event. But virtually, uh, you can engage that way with our webinars, or else you can claim a free copy of uh, one of, uh, you know, I've got 12 books, but uh, I have one uh, it, that's flying off of the warehouse shelves, and it's the Laser Fund. And this is how to diversify and create the foundation for a tax-free retirement. And that's my favorite financial vehicle if people are wanting to understand how to not outlive their money and uh, be immune from the negative impact of taxes, inflation, and market volatility. If they're interested in the holistic approach, then usually I recommend they, they get the book Entitlement Abolition, How to Abolish Entitlement Mindset with Your Kids and Grandkids. 
And so uh, you can claim a free copy of either one of those books uh, by going to um, either laserfund.com or entitlementabolitionbook.com. But if they go to threedimensionalwealth.com, there's links that go through there. And then people can register if they want to attend an educational event, or they can start uh, getting the books digital. Or there is the, if you like to listen and learn, there's the audio versions. If you like to watch and learn, uh, you can even get master classes, 18 hours of video instruction if you want to do a deep dive. And that's all found on either um, uh, threedimensionalwealth.com or they can go into laserfund.com or entitlementabolition.com to claim a free copy of uh, one of my uh, most recent best-selling books. Well, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the Action and Ambition podcast, Doug. And I hope that you'll come back and join us again soon and keep us updated as to how things are going with those, with those multiplying grandkids. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Chase. It's been a delight. Absolutely. Take care, sir. You bet. Thanks for listening to Action and Ambition with your host, Andrew Metal. Please leave a review and subscribe and go to andrewmetal.com for all the exclusive lessons, behind-the-scenes footage, and video content of the show. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Action and Ambition, and we'll see you on the next episode. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.